We all have a story to tell. Let's tell yours. Welcome to the Intellectual People Podcast with your host, Jason. Come together and listen to journey stories and more from interesting people. Welcome your host, Jason. Today on the Intellectual People Podcast, I have Steve Stepp of Hydrostep. How are you doing today, Steve? Great, Jason. Great. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. So, Steve, I want to go back into your history of how you actually got started in boating. Um, my dad always had a boat at the little boat club on the High River. And uh, we, uh, before we ever got out of high school, you know, we'd play with the boat and everything. And and he got me really interested, my brother and I, and interested in boating and water skiing. Okay. And did, did you get into building with him? How did that actually come about? No, uh, another gentleman who belonged to the boat club there who boat raced he had a little 14 foot Crosby and outboard. And he was, um, he would go around the country boat racing. Uh, he was a salesman for heavy equipment by trade, but I got into helping him at the uh, uh, boat ramp at the boat club testing props and stuff. So I drive his car and pull him in and out and in and out. And so did that for a while. And he said, well, would you like to go to a boat race with me? And I said, sure. <laughs> that sounds like great fun. Yeah. So that sort of got me the bug. And once I went to the first boat race and, and seen what that was all about and racing and, and good competition and nice people. So, and how, where did you go from there? So you went boat racing with him at some point Did he let you drive. No, I ended up uh, going, I think one summer with him. And then over the winter, I ended up buying a, a boat, same hull that he had, just like he had a 14 footer. And didn't have the money to buy the motor, but at least I got the boat. Okay. And then later on, got got a trailer and got a motor. And then uh, that next summer, went to a couple of boat races myself and drove and found out the bug really got me then. <laughs> and uh, so then another friend of mine that he boat raced also, we got talking about uh, buying his little Mercury outboard dealership there in town. Oh. So uh, that was the summer I got out of high school. So. Uh, we ended up buying that little dealership and I worked it at night. He worked it during the day and I still worked for a construction company. It's operating equipment. So you're 18, 19 at this point, roughly. Yeah. Just got out of high school. Just got out of high school. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And what were you doing in construction? Well, my dad was always in construction. So as soon as I graduated from uh, high school, I went to work for his building contractor. Of course, uh, I wanted to get away from my dad a little bit and get out <laughs> in the real world and work. So this guy put me in, uh, and in charge of bulldozer and backhoe and stuff like that. Okay. And then you ran the dealership at night yeah. on the boat. Yeah. I ran, ran the construction or worked at the construction job for three years, then worked at night and on weekends at the boat shop. Wow. Then finally decided to buy my partner out and quit the construction business. So I could start full time in the boat business. Okay. And is that where velocity boats came in? No, no, no. No, I didn't. Uh, I worked at for uh, how many years it was. Uh, that was 60, 1962, 63. Okay. And I boat raced all that time during the summer and, um, you know, want to do it year round. So I said, the only place to do that's Florida. Uh, so I end up uh, building a dealership up, build a couple of buildings and I'd end up selling them. So in 76, I had decided to uh, want to move to Florida. From so, where? Where were you? Southern Ohio. Southern Ohio. Yeah, okay. right on the Ohio River. So, so put my house up in the market and it sold in two weeks and put the business up and it finally sold. And, and I promised myself that summer, 4th of July, I'm going to Florida. 
one way or another, I'm packing up and going to Florida. Wow. So I already ended up buying a house down there. So I ended up moving to Florida. And really, I had a job at uh, Richard Bertram Yachts that's selling uh, yachts. But it was in Miami, and my house was in Lighthouse Point. Okay. And uh, that was quite a drive, and I didn't want to drive that. So I decided I didn't want to do that. So I promised myself I'd loaf for a year. And, and of course, I bought and sold three boats loafing that year. But, right. But that still wasn't enough. And that's when I started Velocity. Ah. So Velocity Boats starts when and what year? Uh, that was about um, 77. 77. And you knew that you wanted to build race boats. Well, racing was still in my blood. And that mm -hmm. year that I promised myself I wouldn't do anything was probably the worst year I ever spent. <laughs> really? Because I didn't have any purpose. You know, after after racing for so many years, right. uh, you know, from 62 to 76, then all once quit, you know, and, and you sort of lived and died by racing when you do it that long that, you know, where's it, where we're going this month or this week or right. how long is it going to take to drive it, getting prepared and do this and do this and all at once. You don't have anything. Right. You know, tried to play tennis and that didn't work out very good. That, that's too much, too much energy and not enough challenge to it that I wanted, you know. And and uh, so end up I rented a, a building and bought me some lumber and got started and spent the first year uh, building the first velocity 30 footer. 30 foot. And uh, showed it at the Miami Boat Show in 78, February of 78. And this was a boat? A race boat or a pleasure boat? It was a pleasure boat. It was a pleasure boat. And describe what this... Actually, let's go back really quickly here to explain to the people that don't know when you say you've got some lumber to build a boat, because a lot of people don't realize back in the day when you started, right, how boats, and they're still done this way by some people, but building the structure, the, the negative, if you will, right, of the hull out of lumber, and it's, everything is reversed, correct? Well, we actually have built the plug, a running right. plug. Right. And it's a real boat. Then after I got through running and testing it, then I built the mole off of it. Okay. Then I could produce the boats out of the mole out of fiberglass. Right. And the uh, lumber that you say, though, you build a structure that resembles the plug, if you will, correct? Yes. And then that's out of two by fours and various other types of wood and plywood, if you will, and you build that so it resembles the plug, then you actually make the plug, right? No, I, I actually built the boat itself. You did? Yeah, built built the boats. That, <clears throat> and the reason why I do that that way is I can run the boat and test it. And then, the, so the, the plug itself is a real boat. Okay. And put fiberglass on the outside, smoothed it up and everything. Sure. And it looks just like a real boat. And it is real boat, except it's all built on the inside with, um, you know, kumi plywood and basswood and okay. different types of woods and stuff to put in the right place. And, and I see um, they built the first 30 footer like that. And I uh, built my first 40 footer like that also. Interesting. So then you go and you start testing it, right? Yes. And you work on the bottom of the boat and you see how fast it'll run, how it will ha handle, make sure it doesn't chine walk, correct? Well, the chine walking, you can, you can design features in that that make a chine walk, uh, that won't make a chine walk, but it'll make it easier to drive. Okay. But you, you can also design 
where it run faster, but you got to drive the chine walk out of it. So there's different ways that you can do it that way. But usually chine walk is, is really controlled by the person behind the steering wheel. So then how do you decide as a boat builder, what you want, do you want speed and the driver actually to have to really wheel it? Or do you decide I want something that's really comfortable to drive, safe to drive, but it might not have that ultimate top speed. Uh, my attitude then on that particular boat was to make it fast, but make it drivable by inexperienced people. Fair enough. Because like on the bass boats, we were running, you know, 60, 70, 80 mile an hour on the bass boats. And those guys knows how to drive. Right. But the guys in offshore then, only thing they knew how to make a boat go fast was to put more money in the engine compartment, <laughs> which there's more ways to doing it than that, you know, through bottom design. And they didn't know anything about driving. If one, if they got it to go fast enough to chine walk, only thing they knew is either let off the throttle, trim the drives in or put the tabs out because gotcha. they had no clue on how to drive chine walk out of the boat, but the bottom of the boat to drive chine walk out, you can't do it with the bottoms that they were doing, which is just a standard 24 degree V that uh, Ray Hunt designed for Dick Bertram back in the sixties. And that's what a lot of companies still right now today is using that, that really? bottom design. And it's, it was antiquated 40 some years ago and it's still <laughs> antiquated. So that's one thing I did to the bottom design cause through OPC racing, you know, I'd go, well, like I, in the summertime, I'd open my boat shop at nine o'clock. Well, I'd be down to Riverbank at six, six thirty testing. Wow. Well, I get 30, 40 tests in for an open shop up. So you just test, test, test and go to race and try what you, learn and you just progress and progress and progress that way. So how fast was your 30 foot? Well, the first boat to put together with uh, twin 370 uh, stern drive, Mercruiser, just stock yep. stern drives with TRS drives and it'd run 75 to 80. Wow. That's incredible. And at that point, the cigarettes and the Magnum was a hot sellers and they made a 28 much smaller than my boat and lighter, but they would only run 65 at the same wow. power. Okay. So where do you go from there? Now you have a 30 foot, you have a 40 foot, right? Well, I, I built a 30 footer up until uh, 81. Then okay. I built the 40 footer. Okay. And then what came after a 40 footer? Ended up doing a 22 foot. Wow. And what was that for? Just a single engine outboard. Single engine pleasure. Yep. Mm -hmm. And did you ever get back to racing? Yeah, I never did quit. Well, so once but, I got velocity going, mm -hmm. and then I think the number two boat or number three boat, I ended up building a, a, a race boat, a P class race boat. Okay. And campaign did. And how well did you do with that? Done good. Done did real you? good. Yeah. And then uh, sold, I think, the either second or third one to Gene Whip in, uh, in Sarasota, who used to own Gulf Wind Marine. Okay. Real famous racer. He, he'd raced and he's from originally from Dayton and raced hydroplanes. And the only guy who won the president's cup in the hydroplanes and he won it and quit. Same really? Because that was so dangerous that he knew that he was driving way over his head and that's what he had to do to win. Wow. So he, he gave himself a, a, a reprieve and just quit right then. That's incredible. Well, it's way to go, right? Go yeah. out on top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. then where does velocity go? How, when, so how successful is velocity at this point? You've got a 30, you've got a 40, you've got a 22. Well, my, I originally started building a 30 and I just wanted a, I wanted a small company and I want to build uh, one a month. So at one time I had 13 boats sold 
And I got to thinking, I said, well, maybe I need to build some more. And I, I sort of regret that. I said, I say now that don't uh, build more bows, just raise the price. Ah, <laughs> you know? and how many employees do you have at this point? Oh, I don't remember exactly, but you know, maybe six or eight or 10. Okay. So a decent amount. Mm -hmm. It's a decent sized small business. Yeah. Right. So you start building more boats. Yeah. I decided to build more boats and that's when I decided to build the, the 41 and then the 22 footer. I, I might've built a, well, I think I've done them about both at the same time because in the 81 is the year I took the 30 and uh, Mercury came out with some 475 horsepower turbocharged 454 mm. cubic inch yep. with number two Speedmasters. Well, Reggie Fountain, friend of mine, he he got the first set of motors. He decided he was wanting to get into offshore boats too. We raced against each other in OPC, okay. the smaller boats. So Reggie was wanting to get into bigger boats and he called me and told me his plan and wanted me to sell him bare hulls and decks and him rig them out or have take them to Lake X. And, and I said, no, nah, I'd just rather not do it that way. I want total control of what I'm doing. Right. So he ended up doing a deal with uh, a company called Excalibur. Okay. So and that's when he come out with the executioner. Well, the first set of those twin turbos went in one of Reggie's boats and they had it at Lake X for like six months, according to Don Swepps, getting it dialed in and everything. And they got to run 86 miles an hour. Wow. So I got the second set of motors and Don Swepp, who's a great guy that he's passed away now, but he used to run the lake and run it with an iron fist, just sort of like Mr. Kikafer was. <laughs> and uh, so I got the boat already and Don says, well, bring it up here and make sure we're, we're going we're gonna to start it up. Right. And uh, make sure water pressure is right and everything where it's cool and you know, pulling the, the heat out of those turbos and sure. making it run right. So we up, went up there and, and uh, got it r running and, First pass I made was 86 or 87, something like that. And that's with a stopwatch and you run between two buoys. Right. So you get an accurate speed. Then that way you can gauge what your speedometer is accordingly. Sure. So I came in and gave Don the, the stopwatch. He said, man, that's great. He says, I says, well, I think it ought to run a lot faster than that. And, and he asked me how much, how fast I, he, I think it ought to run. Well, in the back of my mind, I already had the hundred mile iron. In my head. <laughs> but I didn't want to say that I might embarrass myself, you know? So I said, well, I don't know. I'll run faster than that. And he said, well, the, uh, he said, we worked six months on Reggie's boat and finally got to run 86 miles an hour. And I said, well, dang. and Reggie ended up doing, he knew uh, the step and the transom and the pad bottom. Sure. So he, he copied my theory that I'd already mm -hmm. had because he, he knew that was, that was the right way to do things to make the V bottom run fast. Right. And that's what he always did. But uh, I went. I didn't like the propellers that they had available for those number two speedmasters. So I went in the back room and dug through the scrap pile and found me two props. <laughs> and uh, they had the number two speedmaster had a short shaft to it. Okay. But which makes the rake on the prop different and doesn't put it back far enough from the boat to, the way I want it to be. So I ended up founding two long hub props that had been recessed and drilled where you could put them on a short shaft. And I brought them in and asked Don, I said, Don, can I try these? He says, them's old junk props. He said, them's no good. I said, well, I try them. He says, okay. So I go to put them on the boat and hit the cavitation plate. So he just takes the props back in the room and grind the tips down so they don't hit. <laughs> so I go out and run the boat and it run like 91 miles an hour through wow. the traps then gain that much speed. And I said, how much you want for them, Don? He said, they're no good. You can have them. 
<laughs> so I went home and, and uh, went back to Pompano, parking on the boat, um, you know, the trim angle and stuff and uh, airflow, fuel flow, you know, yeah. all this basic stuff sure. that you got to have for a boat and, and done some more prop work. I found another set of those props so I could beat on the, the second best prop to make them outrun the first. Then once you get that to first, then you set them aside and beat on the second again, you know. Yeah. So you keep going up the ladder and then finally and, and uh, finally when it went back up where we ran over 100 miles an hour. Wow. So you, you always have a gold set of props, right? Like the gold standard, if you will, of the prop, the, the prop that you're trying to beat. And then you work and massage on the second set and then you kind of swap once you get that second set better than the first. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's sometimes you, you take a chance and you work on your best set, but sometimes that always don't work, you know, because right. you're, you're testing and, and you don't always go forward. Sometimes you go backwards. So. Okay. So you have a boat that runs really fast and what's velocity doing now? They're still getting orders in. Yeah, we're selling selling boats, displaying at the Miami Boat Show. That's where I started uh, my only boat show for uh, since I started Velocity. Okay. Then we showed Darren, showed Darren, and um, selling boats right along. And you know, the twenty two took off real good. The forty was a little slower, uh, but what I'd done on the forty footer, I'd built a race boat, and we raced it for three years, and then I took it apart and then made a mole off of it. So is that known as Big Red? Is yes. that where Big Red came in? Yep. That's, okay. That was, that was Big Red. That's Big yeah. Red. Yeah. So tell the people what Big Red actually was and still is to this day, and then update them on Big Red today because well, there's some big news with Big Red. Yeah, the um, I built that. I designed it and built it um, 40 years ago this year, and uh, I raced it for two, three years. You know, it was so expensive to race, and and you need a deep pocket, you know, because we ran open class. What we ran had to run against all the big people that the money was no object to them. And right. it was a big object to me. And explain what, what it cost back then, even if you don't mind. Well, when, a, when uh, you could run open class, if you won first prize, you okay. might won 10 to 12,000. Wow. If you raced and rebuilt the motors and the outdrives ever raced like you're supposed to, because the engines weren't good enough, the outdrives weren't good enough and you had to do it but all the expense of that and going to the race and fuel and everything, you could spend 13 to $16,000 real easy. Okay. So there's no way you're going to make any money. Right. And, and the boat if you want. Yeah. And then boat itself was a hundred thousand, hundred plus. Yeah. hundred plus. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you didn't have any insurance on it. Right. No. <laughs> and you didn't have paid people working on it. Right. Right. That was the other thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I raced it for uh, two, three years on and off and, and with Gene whip and, and um, one year got to, we got to go to world championship and Mercury says, we'll take care of everything. Wow. And that's down there. It's a three race circuit. So all the big dogs, Jerry Jacoby, Betty Cook, and a lot of them, they had fresh motors each day and fresh outdrives each day. Wow. So Mercury stepped up and, and they took care of the engine and had, had come out with a new uh, four bolt main block. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they was testing it a little bit too. But the boat runs so fast with the three blade props that they had that the Mercury had thinned the props down so much. And I could run it through, uh, through the choppy water so fast that we're breaking blades off tips of props. Wow. And they didn't have anything any heavier. So the first race we got into, we throw the tip off the prop and ended up wiping out an outdrive. Hmm. And we had, had problems. But uh, uh, that night at the banquet, the start of the thing, everybody knew 
and Betty Cook told the people, said, well, Steve's got the best chance of winning because I could, I could run with any of the cats in calm water. Then in the V bottoms, I could run with any V bottom and ever how rough they want to go. That's so, awesome. so I had the best advantage of both worlds. I just had to, needed the equipment to hold together right. to be able to do it. And that year, uh, Jerry Jacoby with uh, Keith Hazel, Thrilon, they end up winning. But out of 30 boats, I think it was, they're the only ones who never had any trouble. Wow. So, that, you know, you got to got to hold everything together. Absolutely. And, and you couldn't go out and run on, on our rough water. You know, it depends on if it's rough water, you, you beat the boat and the engines one way. But sure. if it's calm water, you just roll dog the motors. To, right. They're wide open all the time. Yep. And you couldn't you had to run smart. You had to run just stay ahead of the guy behind you, right. not try to run off and leave him because you're just wearing your equipment out. Gotcha. Like I, I've always said, I said, I'd rather break down in first than to finish second. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I, I really do get that. So now you're, so Big Red is successful, right? And I, I would imagine that Velocity, people are starting to take notice of what Velocity is doing out in the racing world, correct? Yes. And people now are starting to say, I want a velocity for pleasure boating and or start racing myself, maybe. Right. Yeah. We was getting getting orders good and was getting um, uh, different guys wanting to race. Mm -hmm. And uh, we end up, you know, we end up setting 10 world speed records with the velocity hull. Wow. I had set four before I uh, got into building velocity. But with the velocity hull design, and me helping the customers, we end up setting 10 records, won eight world championships, seven national championships. Incredible. And, uh, you know, the whole design just worked. You know, we just run faster than the other V bottoms because it's a higher tech bottom design. And and Big Red really showed what they would do because it ran in the big class. Right. So I ran it for two or three years and took it back apart, sanded it all down, took them all off of it, then put it back together wow. and ran it, I think for a year or so. And then a friend of mine, a neighbor wanted to buy it. So I sold it to him. Well, he ran it with another good friend of mine, um, Ed Bienkowski, and uh, they ran it for uh, two, three years, something like that on and off. Cause it's just so expensive to run unless right. you just had a lot of cash burn. sitting around the house. If you want to burn up, <laughs> you know, compared to the competition because the other people it was having to run against just had unlimited budget. Right. You know, and, yep. and it just made it r really rough. But uh, Mike and Ed ran it for quite a while and uh, they ended up putting it up and it was in that building. I'd, my daughter wanted to buy it and she had seen Mike had it for sale. So I went down and made a deal on it. And when I pulled it out of that building, it hadn't been out of that building in 30 years. He literally just parked it. Yeah. 30 years it sat. And what kind of shape's it in now? It's in great shape. Is it really? Yeah. Um, my daughter, Amanda, wants to make it a uh, pleasure boat and oh. uh, leave it. First of all, that putting outboards on it, then we said, no, let's leave it a stern drive, but we're going to leave the, the outside just need to be touched up on the, the hull part. The deck, we're going to re, re clear the deck on the thing and touch up a little bit of the paint on it. But um, it had just three man bolster. It just hauled three people. But I took, cut that uh, storage compartment out and, and the bolster out to where we can put four seats in it. Okay. And then we're going to leave it staggered motors and uh, make it a just a good poker run boat or a play boat. Ah, so is it going to stay in Florida or is it going to go back to now, where she lives? She lives in Richmond, Kentucky, and they uh, boat on uh, Cumberland. Okay. Cumberland. That's a heck of a boat, huh? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So is it almost done? 
No, no, we just, uh, we, she's no big hurry. She don't need it till springtime. So, uh, I got the uh, holes all filled up on the dash cause we're going to redo that. And then I got the holes all filled up in the transom because we want to put different outdrives on it. Cause then I had number three speed masters and we really haven't decided yet what motors to put in it, but probably, you know, uh, looking at five sixty fives with Bravos and, and <laughs> that would run at, you know, 95 to hundred right in sure. that range. And miles per gallon. Uh, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, you know, like I tell people boat shows, uh, we try to see how much gas it will use. Cause usually if it uses more gas, it's going to go faster. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. And it, it's your daughter's money now, right? So yeah. you don't care. <laughs> Uh, well, that's a, that's a really nice, great story. So, I mean, a poker run, that would be really cool if she would do some poker runs with it. Yeah. Well, they have a big poker run uh, weekend after Labor Day. They're on Lake Cumberland. Oh, and, one up there. I yeah. thought you meant the one down here in Florida. Well, she'll probably want to run some of these in the wintertime down here. Yeah. yeah. So they do one in Cumberland as well. Yeah. They do a big one up there. Do they? And she's lucky to marry a guy too. Jack he really loves boats and bass fished all his life. And his dad got him into boating. So, okay. Yeah. So they're, they're a good boating couple. That's great. So now, so take me to where velocity is at that point now, if you will. Well, we kept on, um, uh, adding different models. We ended up putting, um, uh, the 30 footer and the 22 and the 40. Okay. Um, then we got to a certain point and I just had some, so much business and, and South Florida was so bad for us, uh, getting people to work. Uh, and I ended up doing a deal. This was in 86 doing a deal, working deal out with Regal. Um, really mm -hmm, with Regal boats, Regal boats here in town. Yeah. Dwayne cook, uh, uh, I used to sell their boats when I was in, in Ohio. Okay. And so I was familiar with them and super nice people. So I ended up working a deal with them. And what happened about that time, like C Ray and Chris Graff and a bunch of other bigger companies yeah. was trying to get in the performance business oh. and they couldn't build that reputation. They would buy somebody like me, which I'd worked a deal with Regal where they could get into the performance business. C Ray done. They, they tried to came out with, with their own uh, called Pachanga, but it never was really performance. It just looked a little bit and, and had the C-Ray name on it. So were they buying holes from you? I first started off, I was building the holes and they'd totally rig them out. And really? then finally, we finally moved all the uh, construction of the boat and everything to Regal. Wow. But they didn't start building a 40, they built a 22 and built a 30. And then we designed and built a 23 footer, which is more European looking style. Okay. And so they built them and I babysit the project for a year and then wasn't busy enough for me. So I went and uh, I didn't, I was on a lease basis, so I didn't have a non-compete. So I started a boat company called Thoroughbred and I started making a 26 footer. Then I made a 28 footer. Okay. And then later on a few years, um, uh, Regal uh, and I separated and I got the velocity name back. Okay. So they kept, they had the name as well. Yeah, they had the name Velocity. Were they selling under the Velocity banner as well? Mm -hmm. They yes. were. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. They put the Regal name on it and a serial number on it, but it was a Velocity. Okay. Understood. Okay. And then, so you're selling Thoroughbred? Yeah, I started off selling Thoroughbreds and we were selling 26, 28 footers. Okay. And uh, then in, I think in um, 80s, 
maybe late 80s or early 90s, maybe it had to be the early 90s, then uh, got the velocity back and uh, end up dropping the thoroughbred name and just went straight with velocity. Gotcha. And then it's been about now, about seven or eight years ago, then I sold velocity to a gentleman over in Tampa. Okay. And so you're completely out of velocity now. Do you miss it? Um, miss the high performance part of it and the customers. You know, we had some real good customers. Mm -hmm. We, um, uh, our customers really was loyal and we treat them as friends. And, right. and we go to poker run like one year at the um, Jacksonville poker run. Reggie would always show up and all his customers and the formula people, the porters on the formula, they'd show up by their customers. So one year, Reggie told uh, the people to run. He said, I'm going to have more fountains here next year than anybody. <laughs> so that was sort of a throwout competition because Reggie yeah. and I always trying to outdo each other. So uh, <laughs> the next year we got on it and we would call our customers and yeah, come show up and this and that. And we'd have at a motor home, have parties. And of course, the women like going to motor home, drink wine. The guys will stand out on the dock, drink right. beer and talk about <laughs> race motors. You know? <laughs> So, but we end up that year having, I think it's like 30 some boats there and wow. more than the, the fountain or the formula did. So how many velocity boats did you sell from the time you started velocity to the time you sold it? Do you have any idea? No, no. I don't know. I, I've never had that question asked me quite a few times but, and I've just never did really figure it out. Hmm. What was the hardest part of running that business? The people dealing with people, getting them to work and motivated to do a, a good job. So employees, not necessarily customers. Right. Yeah. And how many people did you have at the height of velocity? I think about 30. Wow. Yeah. And were you actively on the, on the floor building as well? I was, uh, I was a production manager. I usually had uh, one or two salesmen and I'd be my own production manager besides my job I needed to do in sure. the office. Wow. And, uh, I'd have uh, have things moving along. We might be building six, seven single engine boats a month. Wow. So I thought, well, I'll get me a production manager. And uh, and first thing I know, I'd be down to five boats a month. Right. <laughs> right. So I always had trouble, you know, getting a production manager to do it like I wanted sure. to do it. You I know, get that. And relate because I'm a, a hands on type person. Yep. You know, was it a good business? Yeah, yeah, it was. it was a good business. Yeah, it was. It was not not only good in terms of feeding your passion, but you were able to raise a family. I presume from it, right? That was your main source of income. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was over. It was good years, good good profitable years, and some lean years. You know, sure. Like any kind of business, goes up and down. Yep. And depends on the gas prices and the insurance costs and finance costs and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Make it good years or bad years, but. It was a great business and very fortunate got to spend my life doing, doing it. what I enjoy doing. So then you sell Velocity. What do you do? What did you do after you sold Velocity? Well, I got more serious about playing golf, but uh, got problems with my back from all the years of boat racing and mm. motorcycle racing. So, but I'd started once I quit racing before I sold Velocity, I'd got into competing in a long drive competition in golf. Oh, wow. And uh, of course, I, I looked at the golf club like a prop, you know, take sure. a hammer, beat and bang on the prop, make you do what you want to do. So I looked at the <laughs> driver the same way. I said, well, I can do this to it and that to it. So I got fooling with that. And in 96, I won the state of Florida in the senior division. Really? And they started the senior division at 45. And I was already 52 or three, something like that. 
Okay. And uh, so I won the state of Florida and got to go to the world long drive finals in Las Vegas. And wow. uh, of course, yeah, I beat everybody around here, but that when you go out there, it's on the big scale and it's on TV, right? you know, and, and uh, the, the nerves get to you. And of course I'd been around enough setting records and stuff that, and what's, yeah. what's a record? Like what's, I know nothing about that. So tell us what, like, what's a long drive? What, how far? Well, the, the, it, you compete in your age group. Okay. See, so this, the open class, it was from 45 years old down and usually the twenties and the 30 guys, uh, are in a much better shape and hit sure. the ball longer because every year once especially you get up over 50 man every year or two it just you just get shorter and shorter and shorter <laughs> so i was spotting the guys six seven years at at 45. Wow. well i ended up getting out there but i didn't uh you got to get six balls in the fairway you got 40 yard wide sometimes 40 sometimes 50 but you got six balls the longest one to count the rest of them they don't care you know, what happened to them. And it's got to land in a fairway and in, in between the lines and stay there. It can run out, but it's got to stay there. So I did the typical thing that a new person does get up there and didn't hit any of the balls in the fairway. <laughs> so I didn't even find out if I was competitive or kid myself or what, you know? Gotcha. So I went to work harder on it next year and I ended up eliminating myself, hurt my back mm. and, uh, but I ended up getting back on it. And I competed at the world finals in Vegas for 12 years. Did you really? Yeah. Went all the way through the uh, every age group because every five years they'd, they'd come out with a different age. Wow. Group. But I competed up until I think six or seven years ago. But the best wow. I ever finished was third one year. That's pretty awesome. And, uh, but I was in the top five just about every year. Wow. So do you still play at all? Play every now and then, about every month or two. What do you shoot? Not very good now. <laughs> <laughs> what did you shoot in your in your best day? What did you shoot? Well, it was, we was lucky when we first moved up here. I never played golf before. I helped my dad build a couple of golf courses, but never played golf. Okay. So when we moved up here, we joined Heathrow and, and playing golf. And uh, we ended up getting acquainted with Phil Ritson, which had a golf studio here. Okay. And within a year I shot par. Wow. <laughs> but it had all the lessons. He was needing a golf studio. He was going to build one over at the Kmart. So I built some out of fiberglass for him and just took it out in golf lessons. So my wife and I, we got to, get that well. the best you know if you're going to learn something you know like i've told people before you know you can probably learn it on your own if you live long enough right but if you want to get good at something doesn't matter what it is mm -hmm. you know you just get lessons from a professional and you know then it all depends on your desire and your ability to what sure. you can do absolutely so your back starts bothering you you decide what well end up playing less and less golf. Then my wife and I, we got, uh, she was talking about, she wanted to go to Alaska. So we bought a camper and drove to Alaska and wow. gone far four months and, uh, traveled 18,000 miles. And, and, uh, we That's enjoyed awesome. that and got back, we sold the camper. We thought, well, we ain't gonna do that anymore. Then we <laughs> already started talking about doing it again. But, uh, then after that, I decided I'm going to build me a fishing boat. Cause I, I got a good friend, uh, Bobby uh, Vaughn in the Keys and gone fishing with, and then Peter Deeks over here in Mosquito Lagoons. Both those guys are professional guides. Okay. And it's like Bill Dance, he comes to Mosquito Lagoon, he goes fishing with Peter Deeks. Great guy, great fisherman. And then Bobby Vaughn takes Roland Martin out. When Roland goes down there and wants to catch tarpon, takes okay. him down to Boca. Uh, Have you been a fisherman? No, fishing just something you do while you're sitting there drinking a beer in the boat and okay. letting the motors cool down <laughs> so you can take off again. <laughs> okay. So yeah. now you're going to build a boat 
to go fishing, even though you don't really fish, but you're going to learn to fish because it's a boat. Well, I've, I've always fished. That just wasn't my passion, you know. Understood. Yeah, because my dad always got, I'd go bass fishing up there on the river with my dad and, okay. and uh, love to fish and everything, just that I'd rather go fast if I'm on a boat. Understood. You know, just sitting there. So I, I don't know a lot about fishing, but I know quite a bit about building a hull sure. to do what it needs to do. So I, of course, a good friend of mine, Darius Allison, builds the Allison craft boats. And, but he's more like a rocket scientist when it designs boats and stuff mm -hmm. and they're great boats, but it's not really a saltwater boat. And, and, uh, these flats fishermen, which is the inshore guys. And I didn't want to get back out in rough water again, cause I can't stand it with my back. So uh, something for the inside water. And I studied the, uh, the inshore boats for quite a while, what they do and what they want and everything. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, my wife says I started two sticks on the ground in the garage and it's pretty much how it started, but I built it like I did my 30 and my 40 footer. Really? Same, so, same pad design or is it slightly different? Same theory. Measurements same. are all different because of the speed and the weight of the boat and stuff like that. So, so this, this company, if I'm not mistaken, is called Hydrostep. Is that correct? Yes. That's what I named it. And obviously the step part is your last name, correct? Yeah. And Hydra is water, right? Yep. So what, what was the real purpose was to build a boat for yourself to go fish or to help these gentlemen out with a inshore flats fishing boat? My first was to uh, just build it for myself. Okay. You know, and, and I got it all done, started testing it <laughs> and it turned out real good. And I was pleased to how it turned out and how the speed I got out of it and the stability part of it and how it gets on plane and, and, uh, just a lot of advantages over some of these other boats. Then I thought about selling it off to another company oh. and just sell the hull design and just keep one for myself. Sure. But then I thought, well, I need something to do. And so and enjoy it. You know, I, I'm not ready to quit and sit on the porch and rocker. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I end up, taking the mold off of it and uh, started producing them. And, and we're moving right along with it now showed it at a, a few boat shows and, and getting some orders. And so we're, so tell people what this boat, because I saw you at the Daytona boat show, I believe it was, and you have a little sign up and it has some specs that are incredible. The miles per gallon with the, I believe it's, it is a Mercury engine on it, correct? Yes, Mercury Pro XS 115. 115. And you're still, after all of these years, you're still Mercury. Yeah, just partial to Mercury. and That's know, great. I, I sold Mercury test boats, uh, designed and built them test boats for 35 years. Awesome. And uh, just got a good working relationship with a lot, a lot of the people at Mercury. Loyalty, something that doesn't really exist today. Yeah. Right? So it's got a 115 on it and it gets how many miles per gallon? With the 115, two people in it loaded down at 30 miles an hour, you can get 10 miles to a gallon of gas. That's and actually incredible. I've seen more than that on it. I just advertise that because that still outdoes everybody else. Right. Cause most other boats with that same motor is down to five to six miles. Amazing. And the top speed of this boat, Loaded with everything, it runs 60 plus, 62, 63 mile an hour. I've seen it with the light load, just myself in it, light on gas, yep. 73. Unbelievable. And what size engine could it take? Well, I've limited horsepower to 150. 150? Yeah, just because 
the speed it runs. It, what will it do with a 150 on it, though? Um, I've sold a few of them with the 150s, but the people didn't care how fast it went. Okay. So I did really didn't work on it, but had one run 75. Wow. But I didn't, you know, that was sort of loaded down. Yeah. But to what they run um, 65 loaded, two people and everything get on it. And, and the whole, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, is a carbon fiber Kevlar with fiberglass. Yeah, the, uh, I use a, um, a 12 ounce Kevlar material, 1208. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Kevlar by itself is flexible somewhat in sure. a panel because it doesn't absorb resin. It just, the resin encapsulates the fiber. So if you put solid Kevlar in a panel, it's a little bit flexible okay. unless you've got enough stiffness of foam coring, something like that. Well, I used to use a um, Kevlar and carbon fiber mixture. Okay. But now they've come out with, with a uh, e-glass in it, which makes a little bit more price reasonable. Okay. You got you to just keep putting that price over onto the customer right. and keep raising it up. So the Kevlar e-glass together is uh, uh, a good mixture because the e-glass soaks up resin. Hmm. So it's right next to the Kevlar. The only thing would be better if you could use S-glass, but S-glass is sort of a controlled substance in a way. They don't really uh, sell it in a mass form like e-glass or Kevlar. Really? So it's harder to get. And you can just lay it up. You don't have to vacuum bag it. No, we just, we just do a hand layup. You job. do a hand yeah. layup. But we use the Kevlar and uh, for most of the hull and the stringer, stuff like that. And on the side, then we use a carbon fiber on the inside of the uh, the sides itself. And then the, the deck is all um, carbon fiber console, bait wells, hatches, all that stuff. And you make every part of that hull, correct? Yes. Yeah. Everything is made. You don't buy a center console from somebody and glass it in. You make yours, correct? Yeah. 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 Like the console, I designed it myself to be aerodynamic, but still be able to put a, at least a 12 inch uh, GPS screen on it and your gauges. And we use uh, Lavorsi throttles and controls where wow. you got separate shift from the throttle. Okay. Cause you get, that gives you a better feel on an offshore boat. You got to have that so that you can throttle it accordingly. You don't really need that that much on flats boat, but it makes it look trick and people like it. Sure. And, it, and it's still easy, but it, the, the control boxes where it's Mercury or Suzuki or whoever that's got both throttle and shift in it is just a lot stiffer. I see. You know, and you don't get that smooth that feel. feel. I gotcha. And it's still cable actuated, right? It's not uh, electric. Yes. Most of them are cable actuated. I know uh, Mercury's got the bigger motors. It's got the fly by wire. Right. And Suzuki just come out with a 115, 140 uh, fly by wire. Did they really? Yeah. Interesting. And how much does your hull weigh? The um, complete boat with the gas tank in it. And uh, before you start rigging it, yep. it's a little less than 700 pounds. Amazing. And rigged, fully rigged, wet, ready to go. I haven't weighed one, but uh, like a 115 weighs 360. Okay. And um, fuel and everything, probably 1100 pounds, something like that. Unbelievable. Because the jack plate we use on the 115, hydraulic jack plate comes standard on it. It weighs 27 pounds, but you can only put a 115 motor on that. Gotcha. So if you go to 150, you got to use Bob's jack plate, then that weighs like uh, 40 pounds, but you could put a 300 horsepower motor on. <laughs> so, Would you even ever put a 300 on that? I'd like to. <laughs> <laughs> and here we go. <laughs>
Yeah. Would, would the boat, because of the added weight of a 300, though, would that be okay? Will the boat still plane the same way? Well, it would handle different because the, the um, uh, 300 weighs 500 pounds. So that's not too much more than what the 150 weighs. Okay. The 150, Mercury advertises at 460. So not, it's not that much not different. That much. But um, like on the bass boats, they extend when they put like a bullet or an Allison, yep. they use a 10 to 12 inch jack plate, sometimes sure. a 14 inch. And the reason for that is the wheelbase, what I call where the water comes under off the pad in the back, by the time it gets to the prop, the longer you can get that wheelbase, the more stability you got for flying over backwards with it. And it's funny you mentioned that because there's a, there's someone local actually who is really big into the Allison's and he constantly says, you got to put it back. You got to put it back. And so many people will argue and fight with him. And I've been in his boat, his Allison, his old Allison fishing boat over a hundred miles an hour. And I got to tell you, it works. <laughs> um, and the Allison has that lip that a lot of people shave off. And I don't know too much about it, but I know that some people have shaved that off, but does your hydrostep and is there a model number? The 18. The 18. Okay. <clears throat> Do you have plans of larger ones now? I've had people talk to me about making it uh, 21. But really haven't decided to do it yet. And can you just is your design scalable so you can just make it longer and still keep everything else the same? Yeah, it, mm -hmm. it can be. Yeah. So this pad will work. Infinite. Well, it, to, it, a, to a degree, obviously. Yeah, the, the, the pad is wide enough and it's deep enough and the way the lifting streaks and everything. I could in, I could increase the weight probably a thousand twelve hundred pounds on the boat wow. and put the big motor on it and uh, it would accept it. Mm -hmm. How fast do you think it would go with a 300? Well, the Allison and bullets with the 300 R's running over a hundred to run 105, 110, right in that yeah. range. But you know, the biggest thing on that is aerodynamics. Mm -hmm. I've got some pretty good sized concave chines that makes the boat super dry. Cause a lot of people are, when you're sitting down low like that and you hit waves, that water just splashes back up on okay. you and aggravate. So I've got, a, I've got big concave chines on it which would not lend itself too good to hundred mile hour. Oh, I gotcha. You know, so the farther back you'd get that motor would be very important in that way. Cause you're running that fast. It's packing air on the front of the boat, even though it rides at, at about four degree angle with mm -hmm. the 115 or the 150, the one, the 300 would probably run about the same angle. Gotcha. So, you know, you got some air for coming in the front and you got to get it shedded off the back. Hmm. So that, that, the, the, Chines lifts it with, you know, 60, 70, 80 mile hour could lift it too much at hundred miles an hour. Right. <laughs> but, wow. but too, I think I could take like a 200 or 250 and run up in the eighties or nineties. You know, if you just want to spend the time on making it do it. And would have, has anybody ever asked you, can you turn this boat into a fun, not a race boat per se, but a high performance boat? something that's similar to an Allison or Hydrostream, you know, any of those other types of boats that are smaller, fun, two, three passenger. Yeah. We had, I've had some interest in it, but uh, you know, and it could be done. Anything could be done. You could change the deck all around to do whatever you want to do with it. It just seems like the, uh, uh, the inshore guys and the saltwater guys likes that sitting on the back 
deck, deck. you yeah. know, and uh, setting up high. Of course, you know, the bass boats sit down low in the boat because they don't have to worry about shallow water that much. But see, the inshore and the shallow water we have in Florida, you want to set up as high as you can get gives you a better advantage to be able to see. see that. Now that's sort of in a way old thinking too, because you put a GPS on it and it's going to show you where the right. <laughs> shallow water is, you know? So you really don't have to look at that shallow water as, as much as Understood. you think. What, what, how much water does the boat draft? With the 115 on it, it runs seven to eight inches. Incredible. Yeah. In other words, it'll, it'll set in that water where a guy can, can pull it or push it or a trolling motor can pull it through there. That's amazing. We've got one with a 60 Mercury's new 60 R and it's between six and seven inches. Wow. But the wider the boat is, it's 93 inches wide. So it gives you that flotation where they can float in shallow water, but it's still got a 14 degree dead rise gotcha. where a lot of the boats that float in real shallow water are flat bottom boats, pretty much a real low dead rise. So you go out across the bay and you're just going to get, daylight's beat out of you. So this gives you uh, the ability to, to float in shallow water, but still got a deep V that'll get you across the water in comfort as, as much as a 18 foot, right. 700 pound boat's going to do. Right. But one of the things I do too, is I put two bait wells in it. They're uh, 28 gallons a piece. I put one in the front, one in the back. Hmm. And the one in the front is, can be used it's like a ballast tank, like we use, uh, used to use in offshore race boats, because we'd turn around and heading into the wind and uh, it'd be rougher seas. So we'd fill the ballast tank. If you run downwind, we'd empty it. Wow. You know, so you got the advantage of that. So that's really cool. And have you taken the boat into choppy water just to see? I mean, for people that don't know, we live in Florida where even rivers go to lakes such as Lake George which gets really rough, like scary rough, right? Because it's so shallow. So to have two, three footers there is not uncommon. So while it's an inshore boat, you can still get into rough water inshore, correct? Yeah. Well, like uh, the 4th of July, my wife and I went over to Homosassa Springs. Okay. And go out through there and you go out um, where they're um, scalloping mm -hmm. and you're out four or five miles. Yep. And the wind's gonna blow up and get chopping or a little storm comes up and the three, 400 boats that's out there decide they want to come in all the same time. Right, right. <laughs> so you get to test it, you know, just by using it, you get to yep. test a lot of different places. And, and we've had it, you know, in the keys and about every place up and down Florida and around And but it, it takes rough water real good, but it, it does part of the, the design, the concave chines and uh, really spreads that water down and it makes it a very dry boat. And if, mm -hmm. if it gets too rough, you can stand up, and run the thing too, like you do a normal center console. Gotcha. And what does this boat cost with a 115? A 115 and trailer and a nine inch GPS, we priced at 46,000. Wow. That's pretty awesome. So where do you go from here? Well, we're just, um, I mean, at what, at what point does Steve step say I've had enough? Don't think that'll happen. No, <laughs> now enjoying myself too much and playing with boats. And I realized too, um, that there's nothing else I enjoy more than working on boats, playing on boats, beating on propellers and playing with bottom design. The perfect bottom design has never been made yet. You know, so it's yeah. still out there and every, every bottom can design can, can be improved and made better. And, and a lot of people don't understand that. Um, and I get it all the time. They say, well, I don't want to go that fast. But well, most time they don't want to admit to it that they want to go that fast. Yeah, that okay. they, that they, yeah. 
And I tell them, I said, well, the throttle's adjustable, just like the one on your car. You know, you don't have to run wide open all the time. But uh, the bottom design, when it uh, runs fast, shows the, the good part of the bottom design because it is capable of running fast. The hydrodynamics is good. Yep. The aerodynamics is good. And that's what gives you good gas mileage. Right. You take a boat that put a 115 on it, don't run but 50 miles an hour. It's not going to get near the gas miles that a boat can run 70 sure. miles an hour. Sure. So, and I think it's important to say that you're doing all of this. All of your whole design is not using the, the I don't want to say the latest and greatest because software, modern software such as CFD is only as good as the user. However, you're doing it the old school way, right? You're truly like a pioneer of whole design that do you feel that you've gotten the credit that you deserve? Well, you, you always wonder about that. You know, a good friend of mine up in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina just passed away and, and I got to spend a lot of time with Bobby Allison. Okay. And he's a good example. Never got the credit that that man deserved. Right. Over the years and just such a wonderful family and wonderful guy. But, you know, uh, I got to go and do a lot more things than I ever thought I would, Have you. you know, and, and see a lot more things, meet a lot more people than, than, uh, than most people mm -hmm. and met a lot of different stars and stuff. So thoroughly have enjoyed it. But, uh, I, tell people sometimes I'd have had more fun if I'd had more money, but it might've been worse too. You know, <laughs> that's true. That is very true. And I think it's also, and that leads to a great point of you, you never did this because of the money you did it for the passion, right? You had a passion that you followed and still to this day, you do it because you love it. You're not doing it because you need to build hydrostep, right? Yeah. Is that fair? <clears throat> yeah. And without getting into your age, which I'm sure you don't want to talk about, you you certainly don't need to be doing this for for the money and the and the everything else that goes along with it. You're truly doing it based on passion. Yeah, def definitely passionate about it and enjoy it. And it's my way of working out too is to get involved and in, in part of it because I'm not afraid of work. And my dad taught me that, and and uh, I try to teach my daughter that, and I think she learned it real good. She. Uh, uh, I got her started working at the shop when she's like 12 years old and every year she'd come back from the college, she'd work at the shop and I'd okay. put her on different projects and stuff. And, and, uh, I'd try to get her out and we'd go eat lunch together away from the salesman, different people and get a chance to spend more time with her and talk sure. to her. And one day she said, "Dad, I guess you wish you'd had a son. I said, no, man, why? She said, well, son, boy, I've been tickled to death to go to college, come back and been high performance boat business. Every boy in the world would love to do that. She says, I don't want to be in the boat business. And I said, well, I don't want you in the boat business, Amanda. And, uh, and she said, well, why'd you always make me come to work? I says, I want you to learn business. And then you go find your passion, what mm -hmm. you love to do. And you got the business background to do it, there you, you know, and, and, uh, just turned out we was up in Kentucky this weekend. And she's at 35, she's buying the real estate agency um, that she's worked at for the last 10 years. Wow. So that's her passion, yeah. real estate. Yeah. And she's done a good job and loves to talk to people and help people and, and just. That's great. She's doing good. So do you think that Hydrostep is going to take off to the point where it gets like velocity, where now you're 
building more boats and more boats every month and it it becomes a, something that you never really thought it would well um i want to control it more i don't okay. i don't want a big company again no. i want to keep it low um high quality low volume and i'd like fun. To, <laughs> and fun right and fun and i'd like to make it the highest price flash boat but you know got to work my reputation in, in the fishing industry and and uh, I think I got a big advantage over a lot of people. Sure. And uh, make a good quality boat and uh, have fun at doing it and meet some nice people. And that's part of the fun of, you know, meeting the people and, the, and getting no customers. And, Great. you know, they're not just customers, they end up just being friends. And I've sold, I got Velocity customers like three generations. And uh, that's incredible. Just, just neat people. And you're not involved in Velocity at all anymore, correct? No. Okay. Just no. want to make sure we make that clear. Yeah. Okay. And you haven't been for years, correct? Right. Since I sold out in 78, or I mean, eight, about eight years ago. Eight right? years ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And the Hydro Step is certainly a fantastic boat to see. And the craftsmanship is absolutely incredible and i want to say that when i saw the boat in daytona and i looked inside you don't finish it with gel coat on the inside and that's done for a reason not only for the weight purpose and all and i'm sure you'd happily finish it however it doesn't need to be finished because it looks so good and just pristine inside and i think that is great because let's face it you can hide a lot of imperfections right? By finishing over a raw material yeah. and the hydro step is just, it's fantastic. I encourage everyone to go to hydrostep.com to see it and inquire with Steve if they have any questions. All right. Appreciate Thank it, you so Jason. much. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Find us on YouTube and Facebook at the Intellectual People Podcast and online at the intellectualpeoplepodcast.com. Check back for exciting new episodes.